One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello everyone. So, much to my surprise, the dominant story in Westminster this week is the Jeremy Corbyn spy story. I, I mean, like how this... you say it's story with a question mark yeah. at the end because it is it's <laughs> it's exactly. I mean, it's a nib, isn't it? It's a news in brief. That thing is, it's it like the original Sun story is a good, like, if it's August and there's no news, it's a good fun. Oh, we went into an archive and this guy under diplomatic cover talked to Corbyn a couple of times and discovered literally nothing of interest, right? It's a fun nip, as you say. Yeah, and Um, politicians throughout history have always met with diplomats and people they probably didn't know they were in a secret service or anything like that so it's not really that surprising and you could probably find lots of politicians who had had these kind of conversations with undercover agents not knowing that they were undercover agents throughout history yeah i also think you can you can even go further than that right then we know that throughout western europe the eastern blocs intelligence agencies tried to cultivate links across domestic legislatures in western europe but particularly in the leftmost bit of the social democratic party because they were making things the most difficult for their yeah, governments. And yeah, and they hoped that they would be um, ideologically sympathetic or would be useful in the event of political upheaval. In some ways, I think some of the kind of reaction to this story is like the weird mirror image of when Len McCluskey went, the security services may be spying on Corbyn, and people went, gosh, what a crank. And like, well, probably they, they were. I know, I never know why yeah. people are surprised about those kind um, of things. And anyway, for our listeners who haven't been following this story, question mark, as closely as we have, the claim is that a Czechoslovakian spy met with Jeremy Corbyn and mined him for information about Margaret Thatcher, who we all know Jeremy Corbyn didn't really have <laughs> the ear of. <laughs> yeah, because basically the, the part which no one disputes is that they met a couple of times under when the guy was under diplomatic cover. Yeah. This spy who has been condemned by the current prime minister of now the Czech Republic, yeah. who the Czech security services have gone, no, this does not check out, claims that he paid. I love how basically all bollocks political stories have the words at least and then a number in them, like at least 15 Labour yeah. MPs. Yeah. It's like <laughs> at least 20 Tory MPs are ready to <laughs> sign their letters of no confidence. At least five members of the shadow cabinet are poised to quit and bring down Corbyn over the customs <laughs> union. It's just like, it's like this weird bat signal of like, by at least. Do you mean Do you mean none? you don't know? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, at least feels like more like kind of like, well, it's definitely not this number. Like, yeah, yeah. that's the one thing we can say for yeah. sure. Um, and so 
I think there are a couple of, well, I think actually lots of interesting things about the story, about the way the Conservatives have tried to weaponise it, about the way Labour have responded, and I think are interesting. We'll talk about Labour's kind of handling it in the second or third, I never quite understand how the segments work, uh, <laughs> part of the podcast. I Because I, I always think of us having two parts with You Ask Us being a kind of like amuse-bouche. A bonus round. Or whatever, yeah, a bonus yeah. round between the two. I don't really know what an amuse-bouche is. I think it might actually be a starter. Yeah, so, I um, think that's, yeah. So I'm just completely wrong there. But I always think of it as being two parts, not three. Anyway, that very lengthy digression <laughs> aside... <laughs> Clearly the clearly the Conservatives and the right-wing press think that they can get some points over Labour on this story. They think that they can damage Jeremy Corbyn with this story because, like you said, it's been running for days when really it should just be a fun, you know, half column in the middle of summer. This story has been running for days. Theresa May mentioned it at PMQs. She said, oh, you know, I'm used to hearing Jeremy Corbyn ask for blank checks. I know he's keen on checks. Bada boom. Um, and so she thinks God, that she can mention it too. And also one thing that I think maybe as part of their case for thinking that this could have traction is that the British public do love a spy story. And we're not sort of as scared as spies or find them as sinister as, as they do in, in the US. I think we always have this view of, of spying and that era of Cold War politics as this kind of romantic thing with the Cambridge spies and those kind of bits of history. Yes, I think you're right. Although I do think that kind of sums up the problem with it as a dividing line. Weirdly, I think it links to why the campaign to stop Brexit did not work. Mm-hmm. People in the United Kingdom, I think 100% wrongly, basically have a continual sense of, well, think how bad could things really get, right? It's why whenever you say something like our constitution is dangerously imbalanced and hands a terrifying amount of power to anyone who can get a six point, seven point lead in the polls over their opponent, people kind of go like, oh, but really what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. And I just think selling the idea that any politician is, you know, an enemy of the West, is going to dissolve the Western alliance, is going to radically alter uh, British foreign policy. I mean, one, bluntly, I think if people believe politicians could achieve that kind of change, Jeremy Corbyn would not be doing half so well. Part of his appeal is to the sense that politics does not work and cannot work. Yeah. But two, people just don't think things can get that bad. Perhaps as part of our history, because we've never actually been sort of conquered by <laughs> by a regime which has shown yeah. other countries, you know, the Czech Republic, that things can, can get bad. Maybe we look at these kind of stories, like the idea of foreign spies or, you know, agents, undercover agents in the West trying to destabilise things and think that it's just sort of a, a funny quirk of the Cold War history that we learnt at school, you know, that kind of involved posh people doing naughty things behind the scenes. And we don't really realise that it has actual political sort of salience. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly it. I mean, I think people talk, I think, wrongly a lot about the importance of the empire in the Brexit vote. Mm. Well, spoiler alert, France, Belgium, etc., etc., had incredibly brutal, deeply racist colonial empires. Mm. And um, anyone who believes that Belgium and France have a more sophisticated or, or moral understanding of their empires and what they did in the global south than the United Kingdom, I mean, really does just need to read a book or a yeah. newspaper from either of those countries. However, what does separate the United Kingdom from the rest of the nations of the EU is it has never been under the grip of Nazi and or Soviet terror. Yeah. I, I think you are exactly right. And there's the added thing, and obviously we've talked a lot about the strengths and weaknesses of the two-party brands. People think Labour is, you know, like 
affable but a bit hapless and mm. they think that Jeremy Corbyn is a nice affable elderly granddad type figure so really I basically think the Tory attack line should just be finding every time they talk about Corbyn should be finding an excuse to go he's nice but and then some variation on stupid and or old not because <laughs> yeah. that is fair right actually it's a lot more fair to say Corbyn has a radical approach to British foreign policy foreign policy is his thing it is yeah. the thing he is expert in and the thing he cares about a Corbyn-led government would have a very, very different foreign policy to basically any government we've had. That weirdly is a lot more fair, but people don't care about foreign policy and it just does not fit with their idea of Labour as an ineffective but genial force. If you want to exploit Jeremy Corbyn's weaknesses, then it's better to exploit the idea that he could never be prime minister or that he's ineffectual or that he's, you know, he, he's never had a proper job or or those kind of attacks. They would have a bit more traction than suggesting that he could bring down the West. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which I think this story is somehow trying to do and not achieving. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm so on, on the first day of the story, obviously one occasionally has to write something to suit the demands of the desk mm. kind of like what will the fallout of this be and i just thought yeah. this is such a i when i thought it was going to be a day one thing i just thought okay i'll just write you know what's wrong with why won't this story change people's minds mm. and and what would and i basically kind of said exactly what we've been saying just now and the number of people who've kind of started to be like but it matters that corbyn was on the wrong side of the cold war and it's just like well to who mm. you know i mean i'm afraid i don't believe it mattered to at least 11.9 million of the 12 million people who voted Conservative. And I don't think it mattered to 12 million of the 12 million people who, who voted. People care about their immediate concerns, right? That is when you look at any poll about what people care about, hardly anyone says foreign policy, let alone foreign policy in the 1980s. Exactly. And a conflict closer to home was, I mean, it was shown how little the voting public really cared about that because of the Conservatives trying to exploit Jeremy Corbyn's comments and ties to the IRA from a while ago, but a a conflict far closer to home and no one really seemed to mind about that. It was an attack line that didn't work. Yeah. It's odd because I used to think when I started out in journalism that one of David Cameron's special abilities was that he was very good at effectively just dementing a large chunk of the Labour Party. Mm -hmm. So they would start just coming up with just pointless attacks and Mm. were just not relevant to the central issues people vote on. Then I used to think, oh, well, you know, Obama has this too. Then I thought Corbyn has this too. Increasingly, I actually think it's not an ability that successful political leaders have. It's simply a flaw that most political partisans have in reverse, that they simply cannot understand that the reason why voters do things is not the same as the reason why most people who write columns about why free markets are great or most people who work for Tory MPs or most people who join the Labour Party think about politics. Those groups of people think about politics in a completely different way to most voters. That's definitely true. I did get the distinct feeling with, with the IRA attacks, with Venezuela more recently and with this Czech spy story, a feeling that they're trying to make people care about it. They're almost blaming people for not caring about it, I feel, in some of the coverage. Well, I think... Because it's so hysterical. Yeah, I think there's a definite element of, right? If, as effectively all conservative thinkers and politicians believed until the 6th of June, that they had this insurance policy called Jeremy Corbyn, and then whatever happened, they would beat him by loads, and you don't, you do then kind of either have to go, well... Either, at the very least, something people thought about the electorate turned out to be fundamentally not true, or something in your economic model is so bad that, you know, then this will happen. 
or you can basically go the problem is isn't the young a group which is now being defined to include everyone under the age of 50 i mean i think, I think <laughs> it's like, like the conservatives lost the ele- lo- you know lost among people who were of a voting age when the berlin wall came down right so like this this idea that there is a problem that people were not aware of the existence of soviet terror is 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 mad it is just just crazy but i do think it is quite a comforting thing because it doesn't require any hard questions about why are the Conservatives doing so badly among the most economically and most socially liberal generation of voters Britain's ever had. Why is the housing market so bad? Why, you know, it's quite easy to go, well, do I think that we were on the right side of the Cold War? Yes, no, right? That is a comforting debate for the Conservative Yeah, Party because it goes back to old dividing lines where you come off favourably rather than looking at how you're voters are going to turn their backs on you even further in the next election, which would take sort of big changes and deep thinking, which we haven't really seen. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com I think we need to look at Jeremy Corbyn's attack on the right-wing media, which came after the Czech spy story that we discussed earlier. Because it was actually, I think it was a bigger story, a bigger event than the story itself that he was responding to. Yeah, I think one was, as we've previously discussed, a story that did not have a lot to it. No. The other is a story which suggests, you know, which, and, you know, yes, the polls, if you care about polls five years out have have started to turn a bit in the Tories favor but given the economic cycle given the fact that it will be they will be going for a fourth term in office is objectively a much bigger story for the person who I think you kind of have to assume is the presumptive prime minister yeah saying no 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 I will have you know a fairly big change in how the press is regulated and a fairly big change in how tax avoidance is, is prosecuted and um and the way enforced. that the media is owned and the way that the media is owned right those were three quite big changes are uh, yeah so I think yeah you're... so what Jeremy Corbyn did was he released a video which says something in itself as well about the way that Labour communicates with with its audience so he he did a video saying making fun kind of but also condemning the express the telegraph the sun and the mail running this story uh, this dubious story about the czech spy and then he said change is coming after talking about how their owners you know um, are tax exiles and and they control the press and we don't really have a free press which like you say is an indication that he'd like to reform it i remember back in the day when ed miliband was labor leader and any mild thing that he might say about the murdoch press or phone hacking or when he attacked the mail for running the story about his father saying that he was the man who hated britain just before the election was an absolutely enormous deal do you remember it was it was it was huge it was just like ed miliband is toying with labor's future by by picking picking fights with the right wing press whereas now jeremy corbyn doing it is almost I mean, it's almost to be expected. Yeah, and I think, well, because the, the the interesting thing about kind of the 2010 to 15 parliament is, as you say, every time it would happen, nerves would start jangling yeah. kind of among, you know, the, the parliamentary parties 
a new Labour tendency, both the Blairites around David Miliband and also the Brownites around Ed Balls and Yvette Cooper would have the same kind of, oh, this is a... And I think obviously the big difference is, is after uh, September 2015, everyone basically assumed that whatever happened, the right-wing press would pour the forces of hell on Jeremy Corbyn, so it didn't really matter anymore. And then, of course, yeah. in 2017, the forces of hell were unleashed on Jeremy Corbyn, and he gained quite a lot of seats and quite a lot of votes. So I think it's partly that people think the political calculation has changed. Now, to me, the interesting question, one of the exciting things about the next election from a kind of analytical perspective, as well as, you know, the hope we might not have Conservatives in government anymore, which would be nice, is then there are lots of things we know that we don't know about the 2017 election. Mm. Um, and there are lots of things which we think might be the case. So it could be that it was the death rattle of the right-wing press's ability to shape the narrative. It could be then for a variety of reasons about you know, the election result being seen as a foregone conclusion, Theresa May's bad campaign, yada, yada, yada. There, there, there could be other reasons why uh, it, that turns out not to be the case. However, the thing I think is interesting, right, is in my view at least, the important media platforms at elections are the BBC, obviously, yeah. Global, which does Classic FM, Magic FM, Kerrang, I think, Capital FM, oh, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And obviously they are responsible for that five minutes of like news in between songs yeah. uh, every half an hour or, or, or on the hour. And then Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one of the things Labour did very well in the election campaign is they had a really good message for broadcast, particularly for radio, because broadcast really benefits you if you are the person making a claim, not necessarily a positive claim, right? If in the 2015 election, the Conservatives go, Ed Miliband will team up with the SNP and, and nationalise your bunny rabbit. Um, <laughs> it's not positive, but because people always assume that the op- the opposition will, yeah, basically when 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 you had Corbyn, you know, Corbyn will will buy your bunny rabbit a free school meal and a nice hat, and the Tories go, well, we can't afford this. You kind of go like, well, of course the Tories will attack what Labour says. The Tories don't like Labour, yeah. and in twenty fifteen, when the Tory party was saying. Ed Miliband and the SNP will nationalise your bunny rabbit. And Ed Miliband went, oh, no, I won't. We'll go like, oh, but of course he says that because Labour will always deny the attack line. So I think the format of radio news massively advantages whoever has a proposition. Yeah. But it is also shaped by the print press. And my suspicion is, even though my guess is, is the, you know, the Telegraph, the Mail, the Express, the three papers Corbyn attacked will all have lower circulations in 2022 than they do now, they will not yet have lost their influence over what those important radio bulletins say. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And I do think that Labour's sort of new relationship with the press since Corbyn came in has far more to do with Corbyn and his politics than about the changing media landscape. I, I mean, I remember when it wasn't unusual for Labour MPs to do op-eds in the sun, etc. Now, any time a Labour MP does that, uh, they get slammed by not only, you know, people online, but also fellow politicians from their own party. So I think that it really has, their relationship has changed, not because they know that the future lies only in doing sort of clips from PMQs on Facebook, but because that that is their active strategy, that is their ideology. And perhaps that means that it's not necessarily the, the, it's not necessarily going to be a sort of flawless policy going forward for them because, because of Facebook, I mean, we know as publishers that Facebook is really fickle beast and you can't rely on it for maintaining your audience because they'll change 
how they're set up and and your broadcasts or your or your comment pieces will no longer be on people's news feeds and labor has as we saw used facebook to its great advantage during the election but that's not something that it can always do yeah i mean i think because this thing is so labor's and i keep wanting to uh write a sort of proper piece about how it is that labor took such a decisive step forward in yeah. terms of the quality of their uh, their video work their current sort of documentary style party political broadcasts are really brilliant bits of of and i don't mean propaganda in a loaded way mm. but you know just really great bits of 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 artful propaganda the most recent one about crime they've all got their own music composed and you know that thing where even if you didn't particularly care for hillary clinton or the arguments she was making at the end of the videos you'd be like oh my god i actually like <laughs> i'm crying I've, i yeah or like you know like they really are that good but of course their main sort of transmission venue is facebook yeah the media at the moment is living through a change in how facebook presents news and information facebook's main aim is for people to stay within their walled garden understandably so we also know you know what was it the the group that both sides in the Scottish referendum identified was that I want my Facebook back voters. Um, <laughs> and the, the fear, I think, for Labour is, well, I think there are two fears for Labour and Facebook. One is, of course, that the Labour Party, even the most right-wing part of the Labour Party, is r- regularly advocates ideas that are dangerously to the left, even of where Bernie Sanders was, right? Yeah. And from a reputational perspective, you can see how maybe Mark Zuckerberg decides that actually, do you know what? They're not into being this platform where like European leftists freely share this stuff. The second is that they might, for corporate reasons, decide that actually a few more cat pictures, a little bit less politics is where they want their audience to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, I imagine readers, sorry, listeners will have forgotten about the existence of Upworthy. Remember that website which used to do kind of like, you know, this person had the perfect response? Yes, yeah, you'll never believe what happened next. Yeah, and they dominated Facebook for about six months. Facebook tweaked the formula because it was, you know, just eating up people's news feeds. And no one basically hears from Upworthy now. So, I mean, it's it, because I do think Labour is doing a very good job of managing kind of, yeah, effectively... It both has an ideological aversion to courting the right-wing press, but I also think the ideological stance of the Corbyn project means that there is just no point, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think they're doing a good job of managing around those two things with the massive caveat. And yet, what happens if Facebook in 2022 is just a completely different beast and you still have the right-wing press setting the tone of the broadcast? Now, the question I have for you is if you were Jeremy Corbyn's head of communications... How would you have killed or approached this uh, Czech story? That's a good question, and uh, I think I think I think I think what they did was actually quite quite good because they basically ignored it and didn't give it very much oxygen. Mm-hmm. I think I'm right in saying, and they also then sort of used it to their advantage because then they released this video of Jeremy Corbyn sort of playing one of his greatest hits, which is about how evil the right-wing press is and how it's how it's run by these people who have an agenda and um, how voting Labour would mean that we'd have someone fighting against these vested interests for the many, not the few, which is his slogan that he used in the video. And he also managed to turn it into a story about how the right-wing press are afraid of a Labour government as well. So I suppose he exploited it quite well in that video. But the fact that he even felt that he had to say it, I thought, showed maybe, I don't know whether it's fair, but maybe slight jangles in, in the leadership office. And 
I don't think it's going to be plain sailing for Labour if they're if they're only going to rely on um, their sort of social media strategy for getting their their message out. Because I think it's an interesting example, both of how Brexit and the fact it just swallows up so much of the government's agenda is a problem for the Labour Party because the press gets bored. For most of the press, that means the kind of thing you fill it up with is writing about how bad Labour is. Yeah. If Labour win the next election, Brexit will still be an ongoing process, sucking up a great deal of the government's time. Yeah. And the bulk of the press will, I imagine, still be writing stories about how bad Labour is. And I suspect some of the people who write about how transformative and wonderful Labour is will be less patient if Labour is not that transformative and wonderful because it inherits a Brexit cluster fudge. Yeah, yeah. So what would you have done? I mean, I actually would probably also have done uh, what they did, or I might have decided to uh, entirely make a joke of it. Um, I feel that obviously Corbyn is so far ahead in terms of Facebook likes and reach Mm. of any other politician, maybe it doesn't matter. But I feel it's been a while since Corbyn did something that was just purely comical on Facebook. And ultimately, the story rests on the idea that someone who helped arrange Live Aid (laughs) <laughs> was finding out what Margaret Thatcher ate for breakfast from Jeremy Corbyn. I, yeah, I mean, I just think there were... It's very easily mockable, isn't yeah, there it? Were, there yeah, were, there, were there was gags. a lot to play with. There that. were gags to be made. Yeah, yeah. Um, rather than prosecuting the we-don't-like-the-right-wing press argument at this point in the yeah. political cycle. But I don't know. Yeah, it is broadly, I think, what I would do in their shoes. now it's time for you ask us indeed the question is why does boris johnson think that he is at all equipped to bridge the gap between remainers and leavers having played a prominent and divisive role in the referendum campaign i think it's a great question because his his involvement was so divisive that he he was obviously dividing himself into when he even decided to 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 back leave we know that he had those two columns for the telegraph ready to go one backing remain and one backing leave so it was clearly a personal division as well as taking it to um divide the public so i don't know why maybe perhaps that's why he thinks he can bridge the gap because he has sentiments off the two sides yeah, I think it's partly then he does see himself as a, a liberal Brexiteer. Yeah. He knows that most people with liberal attitudes did not vote to leave the European Union. So he believes he can bridge things. But I think in general, there is this slight, you know, in the same way that when a TV show gets bad and people will kind of like persist with it for a couple of, so Scrubs, great example, right? <laughs> Basically got bad after season four, but it really took till season six for people to go, wow, Scrubs has been bad for a long time. <laughs> And Boris Johnson being unpopular with the public, I think, is a lot like that. It has really taken a while for Tory MPs in general, Boris Johnson's close allies, Boris himself. Oh, bother. Boris Johnson himself. Keep that money rolling into the donkey charities. (laughs) um, Has clearly not realised that yet. And I think he does believe that he is still this politician who can reach all sorts of voters. Yeah, and and actually... (laughs) I can understand why he thinks he can do that, because I remember being naive when Boris Johnson came out for leave that 
after the referendum was over and he'd caused all of the damage he could, that he'd go back to that kind of mayor of London version of Boris Johnson, where he was quite keen on immigration. Um, he wanted to do good things for British business. And he obviously knows that leaving the EU is not a great thing for that. So I thought maybe he might come out as a soft Brexiteer, at least afterwards. I can see why he thinks that he has that appeal, because because that is the image that we had of Boris Johnson a few years ago. Um, but like you say, he's been doing this this sort of like Brexiteer Boris for so long now, it just doesn't wash. Well, I think weird things, he did kind of semi-try to get back to like that Boris in his very brief leadership election, which was one of the things which spooked yes, yes, Andrea Letterman and Gove. He did basically do a kind of like, you know, it doesn't have to mean free movement will end. It doesn't have to mean the end of our participation yeah, do. in the EU institutions. And yeah. I think in some ways, I was about to say his tragedy, but then I remember we all have to live on the same planet and country as he does as well. But <laughs> his political tragedy is that his great secret was continue being able to change uh, the colour of his political skin. Brexit happened and it has forced him to stay in one colour before, but his whole survival tactic is built around changing, but he can't change anymore. Yeah, because, I mean, what's that anecdote that everyone uses about when he was running to be the president of the Oxford Union Debating Society when he came out as a sort of environmental campaigner in order to win his fellow students' votes? So he is a shapeshifter, and now he can't do that anymore. And we've seen what impact that has on people's attitude towards him, because he used to be one of the most popular politicians in the country. I think he was the most popular politician in the country a while back, maybe when he was mayor. But now, he, he I mean, he's plummeted in most of the opinion polls that I've looked at recently, yeah. people's personal votes. All the way down. Yeah. R.I.P. Boris Johnson. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Stephen Bush, and Anoush Shekelian. It's recorded by India Bork and produced by Caroline Crampton. Our music is Devil by the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. If you've enjoyed the New Statesman podcast, give it a favourable review on iTunes, Podbean, or any of your other podcastable platforms. And if you didn't enjoy it, well... (laughs) Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.